Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Needs Some Introduction. If you're relatively new to the show, welcome. I have seen a lot of new listeners in the past couple weeks. I'm your host, Victor, and on this show, we discuss movies, music. I make recommendations for my friends and my co-hosts, and primarily, we do deep dives into shows that we love to watch together. And that's what we'll be doing primarily today, discussing the most recent episode of Better Call Saul. Fun and games... And as I mentioned before, we've seen this motif of the and, so basically phrases with and and them being in the title. In the promo material, by the way, and this could be a fake out, wouldn't be the first time that this show has done this. Next episode is actually called Nippy, as far as I know, unless they change it. And the promo material features a photo of Walt and Jesse. So next week, or maybe even this week, we will be seeing the return of Walter White and Jesse. Also briefly, I'll be discussing last week's episode of Only Murders in the Building with my co-host Sona as well. And the show has gone in a very interesting direction as of last week. So I did want to call it out very briefly. Primarily, we'll be talking about Better Call Saul. And on the weekend show, I'll be reviewing Nope, the new Jordan Peele film. I am very curious about this film, but I have some concerns. I have concerns, but I am very interested to see it. Very much looking forward to this film. And also... I'll be discussing with my sister, Celia, the finale of The Old Man, a show that I highly touted on this very podcast. And boy, do I wish I hadn't started watching it. (laughs) It has gone so far off the rails. I am a week behind, didn't even watch last week's episode, but I will definitely watch both. And we will be discussing the season in full, whether we would have recommended it. And I'm telling you right now, I am almost certain that I will not be recommending this series. So, But we will be discussing it since... It's wrapping up this week. Make sure you subscribe so you know when these episodes become available. Give us your feedback. Need some introduction at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, recommend us to new listeners. Promote us on your socials. With that out of the way, we're actually going to start things off. Continuing my recent inclusion of some musical content here at the top of the episode. Last week, I had a challenge to Ian, my sometimes co-host, to try to identify the connection between... Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, a song that was used in the finale of The Boys, and Don't Give Up, the Peter Gabriel song that features Kate Bush, who's had an incredible resurgence due to the use of Running Up That Hill in the most recent season of Stranger Things, which we've also covered here in the podcast feed. And spoiler for that feedback from Ian, he correctly identified the connection that I was looking for and came up with some interesting connections I hadn't seen, which is kind of the pleasure of this exercise. So here's Ian's feedback, and then I'll be back on the other side of that with my guesses. Hello, need some introduction listeners. My name is Ian, sometime co-host with Victor, on our music episodes. Please check those out in our archives. Be greatly appreciated. So today, I'm answering Victor's challenge that he uh, threw down to all of us in a previous episode, creating a musical daisy chain, as it were. Now, Victor's songs of choice are two songs by British artists. It's the first point of commonality. They were released 13 years apart, 1973 and 1986, respectively, by artists whose career has a significant amount of overlap. Now, the two songs are Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. The title track 
of the album he released in 1973. As usual, Elton was responsible for the composition of the music, and his collaborator for the vast majority of, of his career, songwriter Bernie Toppin. Bernie Toppin described this song as a reflection on his childhood growing up on a farm in Lincolnshire, United Kingdom, and as a theme that runs through uh, many of his songs with Elton. It's a call for a return to a simpler time, uh, childhood, idyllic nostalgia would be a good way to put it. And, of course, the Yellow Brick Road, uh, referenced in the title, it's a direct reference to The Wizard of Oz, the film of which was released in 1939, starring Judy Garland as Dorothy, who is swept up by a tornado, transported into the land of Oz, and is in a journey to return to a time when things were simpler, back to her farm in Kansas. The film, of course, based on the book by Frank L. Baum that was released in 1900. In 1973, the single peaked at the number two spot in the U.S. charts and number four in the U.K. Also released in 1973 was the Genesis record Selling England by the Pound, the second to last album released by Genesis to feature Peter Gabriel as their frontman, uh, lyricist, and keyboardist. It reached number three on the UK charts, but this early incarnation of Genesis had much less uh, reach across the Atlantic, with this album stalling at number 70 in the United States. Selling England by the Pound does share some broad themes with Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, uh, the record and the song in particular, including loss of English folk culture, increased American influence, and some yearning to return back to a simpler time. Fast forward to 1986, Peter Gabriel releases his uh, solo album, So, Peter Gabriel's fifth album as a solo artist, and one of his most successful albums, chart-wise, spawning other singles such as Sledgehammer, the now iconic In Your Eyes, and a song with Kate Bush, Don't Give Up. This duet was inspired by Depression-era photographs of Dorothea Lange showing Dust Bowl conditions. That right there is one of the connections that I feel between these songs. While the story, The Wizard of Oz, was released in 1900, predating the Great Depression, the film itself was released in 1939, which was the height of the Dust Bowl era in the United States. And I feel the film uh, alludes to those conditions. Don't Give Up reached number nine in the UK charts and peaked at number 72 in the US charts. Kate Bush, the year previously in 1985, released her album, The Hounds of Love, which included Running Up That Hill. title track, Cloud Busting, was the second choice to sing lead on this track with Peter Gabriel, the first being Dolly Parton, who apparently turned down the song. Also in 1986, Genesis, now fronted by drummer and vocalist songwriter Phil Collins, released 
Invisible Touch. The year since uh, Peter's departure, Genesis took a decidedly more mainstream bent. Their biggest album, Invisible Touch, peaked at number one in the UK album charts and number three in the United States. Phil Collins, the year previous, 1985, released arguably his biggest solo album, No Jacket Required. Now, aside from the similarity in uh, inspiration, the Dust Bowl era Wizard of Oz film experience, and the Dust Bowl photographs by Dorothea Lange, another interesting connection is that in a 2014 interview, Elton John attributed Don't Give Up to helping him turn the corner in his battle for his sobriety and credits the song as a source of strength when that resolve was being tested. For my addition to this musical daisy chain, I am picking classic song Heart of Gold by Neil Young. I've been to Hollywood, I've been to Redwood, I crossed the ocean for a heart of gold. I've been in my mind, it's such a fine line that keeps me searching for a heart of gold. And I'm getting old. Released in 1971 from Neil's fourth solo record, Harvest. Heart of Gold is Neil's only US number one single. The song features background vocals by James Taylor and Linda Ronstadt, and also uh, drew the ire of Bob Dylan. Bob thought the song sounded too much like him. Quote, if it sounds like me, it should as well be me. Heart of Gold has had a number of notable covers, including Johnny Cash, James Taylor himself, and others, Tori Amos. So, keen listeners, let me know what you think the connection between Don't Give Up by Peter Gabriel, featuring Kate Bush, has with Heart of Gold by Neil Young. Thanks. In the background, you're hearing one more connection that Ian didn't pick up. Kate Bush has covered Elton John numerous times. By the way, you should check out this Rocket Man video with Kate Bush. It actually came out in 91, but it feels like the 80s. And man, what a terrible, terrible video <laughs> in the best possible way. <laughs> I'll include a link to it in the show notes. So an interesting challenge from Ian. By the way, if you want to play along at home, send us your guesses. Need some introduction at gmail.com. If you want to hear your feedback on the air, just let us know. So interesting, Heart of Gold and Don't Give Up. What can connections be here? I've racked my brain here for the past day or so since I've gotten his feedback. And here's some connections I see. First of all, both of these artists left bands to have much more successful solo careers. Buffalo Springfield in the case of Neil Young. Genesis in the case of Peter Gabriel. Second possible connection Heart of Gold features vocals by Linda Ronstadt. Not a really a duet, however. A famous female artist. So that's a tenuous connection there. I don't think that's really what he's looking for. 
The third possible connection is that this very song, Heart of Gold, by Neil Young, was based on the relationship that he was currently developing with Carrie Snodgrass, a somewhat famous actress from the 1970s who died tragically relatively early in her life. But at the time, they were just in the bloom of an early love affair. And Peter Gabriel, during the making of the album So, which features Don't Give Up, had recently begun a relationship with Rosanna Arquette. And In Your Eyes, that classic love song. In your eyes, the light, the heat. In your eyes, I am complete. In your eyes, I see the doorway. In your eyes, a thousand churches. In your eyes, was inspired by that early relationship. By the way, Rosanna by Toto, also inspired by Rosanna Arquette. To which my wife responded, what is it about this woman <laughs> that everyone has to write a song about her? <laughs> but I think the connection that Ian is going for, and I could be completely wrong about this one, to be honest, is that Willie Nelson had a minor country hit covering Heart of Gold. And some 10 years later or so, had a cover of Don't Give Up, which featured, of all people, Sinead O'Connor. Interestingly, Willie Nelson wanted Dolly Parton for this duet, and Dolly Parton turned him down, just as Dolly Parton had turned down Peter Gabriel in the original recording of the song. So long story short, Dolly Parton really does not want to sing this song. <laughs> Got to So that's my guess, and I will see how close I got with my guesses and what Ian has in store for our next matchup. With all of that out of the way, let's start our conversation about Better Call Saul, Season 6, Episode 9, Fun and Games. I have had the time of my life with you. But we are bad for everyone around us. Other people suffer because of us. Apart, we're okay, but together, we're poison. No, no, just tell me what I need to do to change, okay? Just tell me what it is and I'll do it. Jimmy. No, Kim, you make me happy. We make each other happy. How can that be bad? Hey, I love you. I love you, too. But so what? All right, Sona, so I wanted to get your opinion, definitely, on this latest episode of Better Call Saul called Fun and Games. Yeah. Still have that 
and motif going in the titles. Mm -hmm. While I was waiting for you to join, by the way, I watched about 10, 15 minutes of the most recent today's episode of only murders in the building. And while I was oh, waiting okay. for you to jump in, <laughs> I watched like another 15 minutes of it. So I have like 10 minutes to go or maybe less even at this point. Um, wow. You're really multitasking. <laughs> I have to, I have to cram it in <laughs> in between my full-time job and all this as well. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to recommend to you and to the audience that this is yet another really fun episode in this week for many reasons. I'm not going to get into them until you watch it, but I don't know if you want to spend a minute or two talking about last week's episode, which I really enjoyed a lot. And I feel I like the direction they've taken the show and they have expanded upon it a little bit more this week. You know, I love the idea of these hidden things in apartment buildings. So that was like a very neat thing that they set up. There was a, a video or TikTok maybe that went yeah. viral last year. I don't know. I've lost all track of time since uh, COVID started, but there was a woman in one of the boroughs of New York City, Brooklyn or Queens, I think. With the hidden that, apartment, right? Yes, through her medicine cabinet. I'm yes, not sure. Wow. I never actually watched the video, but I read an article <laughs> about the video, which is very typical of the way I like to do things. So somehow she got behind her bathroom medicine cabinet and there was an entire apartment that you could access <laughs> yep. through the back of the medicine cabinet. And so this very much reminded me of this. I wonder if it even, if the timeline lines up, maybe it was inspired by it in some way, since it was through the bathroom that they were able to access this whole network of hidden hallways behind the building. Also, as I texted you, in real life, this place would be so rat infested, it would be terrifying. <laughs> true, true. So um, that was one of my thoughts. I did like um, that we got to meet Lucy. Is that her name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that we got to meet Lucy. I thought um, the flashback of where she was trying to go see him was very touching, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's interesting how we keep getting different views of that night over and over from different people's perspectives, little bits and pieces that we're putting together, right, of yeah. that night. Um, so I liked that a lot. I enjoyed the little diversion into the Wizard of Oz with Martin Short, <laughs> Oliver, and his son and yeah. how to bribe the kids to get on the yellow brick road. I thought that was entertaining. <laughs> I have to say I don't love the very sitcom convention, pregnant lady, water yeah. breaking at yeah. an inconvenient yeah. time. Like right. I've never been a fan of that. That to me was a little bit eh. And of course, like there's some major plot development, right? With this uh, super scary guy that yeah. Lucy yeah. sees uh, in that network of hidden hallways. So uh, a lot packs in there. What did you think? Yeah, I really liked it uh, for all the reasons you just said. And we had almost inadvertently discussed this earlier. You had really enjoyed the hidden elevator, for example, in those earlier episodes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had mentioned that even the feel of the show, we're starting to feel the camera kind of moving around inside these apartments. And I thought, well, maybe it's just the bigger budget or something like that. But uh, I think, you know, it, it pays off here, you know, because they've, you know, not only turned these apartments into like these little labyrinths with many rooms and you, you really get a feel for that, especially in this episode, the one you haven't seen yet, where, you know, Mabel finds out that there's an entry into her own apartment and uh, mm -hmm. you see this whole other area of her apartment we've never seen before. So it's made the whole building into this kind of maze, which is, which is really interesting. And by the way, directly to your 
mention of the rat infested walls, there is a call out here funny in this current episode, the one once again, this week's episode that you have not yet seen. It just came out this morning. So I'm sure you haven't seen it yet that they are basically being followed around by their podcast fans <laughs> who are commenting uh. on the action, which is very funny. And one of the guys says, as they overhear him ta them talking about the passageways and he goes, oh, I think I know about those. I'm an exterminator in the building. <laughs> so to your point, <laughs> they have uh, been using those uh, passageways to kill the, the vermin, <laughs> just in case. I mean, I'm bringing my real life baggage into this, but the, the rat situation in New York City is a very real issue since the <laughs> pandemic, let me just say. So <laughs> something like that makes me very nervous. I just, uh, I can imagine the sound of the scurrying. Eek. <laughs> the scratching in the walls. Uh. <laughs> so we probably will not revisit this show until the end of the season, which uh, we're at, at the midpoint today with the fifth episode and there are five more to go. And we will definitely circle back after Saul wraps up to catch up. I just wanted to talk about it here for a few minutes to remind people that we will indeed be following the show and that, and I really do think that they've kind of upped the game in these most recent episodes. And I think in the season, I mean, the way that they're like dropping clues now, and you'll see in the most recent episode, slowly developing each one of these possible suspects and putting clues on the board. And I think it's very clever. It's like really a real mystery along with all these jokes. I mean, especially this week's episode, a very jokey script and I really enjoyed it a lot. I also, by the way, I like the idea, which um, I think a lot of us at our age, Vic, have experienced of, you know, Selena Gomez is used to being the young one, but now mm -hmm. in comes Lucy and yes. all of a sudden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is something that, you know, growing old is a privilege, but we will all uh, feel that way. <laughs> Fate, God, whatever you believe in permitting at some point that, you know, there is a, a newer model and they think that a lot of the stuff that you do is so old and antiquated and all of that. So I thought that was very cute. That's especially funny. I'm glad you brought that back up again because you're thinking about someone who's only, you know, a decade apart and they feel like they are, you know, mm -hmm. worlds apart. Sometimes yeah. the, the closest generations are the ones that feel the most anachronistic. <laughs> I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's the So into the sea, this episode of uh, Better Call Saul, fun and games. By the way, this is the episode where Oda Kirk had his heart attack. He was about 80% done with the, the show when he had the heart attack and they came back six weeks later to finish shooting. Did you feel that in the episode at all? Oh, how interesting. So I did not know that. I think he does seem just absolutely exhausted he in does, this episode. Yes. There's a couple I of scenes, not, yeah chalk that up to physical health you know I, right, right. I, I thought it was very in keeping with what was happening in the episode <laughs> it worked so, for the, the in the context yes yeah so I mean in retrospect perhaps but at the moment in the moment it didn't uh strike me as anything other than what the character was experiencing I I, I agree uh, and I I agree also that he did seem a little haggard at points and uh, maybe that maybe that was the heart attack but it did work yeah <laughs> especially when it we worked. end up <laughs> right, right. 
All you have to do is get a heart attack to get those that extra level to your performance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we open with this very interesting montage. This is a Harry Nilsson cover, by the way. I don't believe that's Harry Nilsson singing on this Perfect Day song. And in this montage, we see Saul is putting up his sign, you know, for his mm -hmm. the iconic office that we're going to have. We're going to jump, you know, minor spoilers here to everybody. We're going to jump into the Breaking Bad timeline by the end of this episode or at the very end of this episode. And we see Kim is, you know, having her day with her client at court. And meanwhile, we see that Mike and the guys are impeccably cleaning up the apartment. They're picking mm -hmm. up the blood. They're using UV. They're repainting the walls. They're doing everything there. You know, every fleck of, of debris has been cleaned out of this apartment. So an excellent work on Mike, of course, uh, as you would expect. My qu first question I had for you is in this montage, Kim seems to be much more uncomfortable in these moments we see, as opposed to Saul, where Saul is either really not so disturbed by, by what's happened, or he's just much, much better at covering it up. Hmm, that's interesting that you saw that. I felt that they were both doing a really good job of covering. You know, I think it did take me a minute to put together that like, oh, wow, this is really the immediate aftermath that we're seeing where Mike has said, you go about your day, you act like no nothing ever happened. Right. <laughs> Some stray thoughts. These are digressions. Sure. I thought Kim's heels were very un-Kim-like. <laughs> I don't think this has anything to do with the specific circumstance of Howard's death. I just find it very hard to believe that a woman like Kim would have such an impractically high heel when you're walking around court as somebody who has had to do that. I mean, that's not, it's just not. So that <laughs> I felt was unbelievable, but neither here nor there on the Howard situation. I also kept thinking back, and this is now really a digression. Did you watch Mad Men? Yes. I kept thinking back to that scene. I, I guess it was at the end of the first season, but I'm not a hundred percent sure where the Elizabeth Moss, her character was pregnant. Peggy, Peggy. She has this baby, Peggy, thank you. She decides to give it up for adoption. Don Draper comes to see her as she's recovering. Yep. And he's telling her this never happened. Right. You know, you're not going to believe how much this never happened. Right. And like, I just was like thinking back on that and that it's an interesting theme in television and maybe in life because it also comes up later in this episode too, of like, yeah. when do you reach that point of like something very traumatic happening? And then one day you're just going to go a full day without ever thinking about it. All this to say, all of these thoughts were swirling in my head at the time I was watching this montage. To me, it looked like they were both doing a very good job of just covering up and going about their day. At the very beginning, when you see them almost uh, back to back their faces, you see him being like very kind of jovial. You see her looking very stressed. But I do agree that over the course of the montage, they both seem to just kind of, as the day unfolds, I should say, that they really just feel like they're you know, in their regular groove until they get back to the apartment. And like you mm -hmm. said, they both seem very shaken by it. Her more yes. so, once again, definitely more so. He kind of spends a minute and then he wanders into the other room. And then he has that, that line you just described. One day we'll, uh, we'll wake up and brush our teeth and we'll go to work. And at some point, we'll suddenly realize that we haven't thought about it at all. None of it. And that's when we'll know. We'll know we can forget. And like you said, I think that's true of life too, right? There's always these things that we have 
a loss sure. in our lives where you almost have that as, as, as a test, you say like, oh, I didn't think about that for a whole day. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's, absolutely that's kind of how life is, unfortunately. Or fortunately, right? Um, as far as that montage, very clever. The way it was edited reminded me a lot of the Dexter opening from the old days, right? Mm-hmm. Of like the coffee becomes <laughs> the, the blood, blood becomes yeah, yeah. the ketchup or right. pasta sauce or whatever that <laughs> yes, was. Yes. And like all of that I thought was very clever. And I also was thinking like this same coffee machine, we've been seeing it for a long time now, <laughs> this courthouse <laughs> coffee machine. Um, I kind of remember this from like the very first episodes of Better Call Saul. <laughs> true, true. And then we cut to uh, another really interesting scene. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. This whole entire episode is structured like this, where you have almost these vignettes where you're seeing everybody dealing with the aftermath of you know, Howard's death. And bookended, by the way, with something that seems a little more like plot. But the middle section is really just these one after another, these segments where we see these individual characters dealing with the ramifications of everything from last week and really setting things up for the chronology of these two shows, I should say. So Gus arrives at the compound where we have the Dons. We have uh, Don Eladio and... Uh, well, Hector is there. Hector, right? of course, and Juan. Juan, yeah. Don Juan. Yeah. Don the Juan, of course. How, how can I forget? And the murder twins are there, of course, to uh, yeah. carry. Very funny mm-hmm. scene when they carry Hector away. And it turns out that he has read out one letter at a time. He has dictated a letter saying that the chicken man was the one who did this. And Can you imagine how painful this dictation was? Uh, but yeah, sorry, ex- go excruciating. Ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. Excruciating. <laughs> it's like the guy who um, did the entire novel, The Diving Bell, The Butterfly with one eye. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, though. And then, yeah, so he re- reads this out and basically says, you think he's your friend, but he plots against you. So this is a very interesting scene. They don't believe Hector. First of all, because they just find them annoying, <laughs> but also for the fact that, you know, there's an explanation for everything. They asked the murder twins, did you hear the phone call? They say no. They uh, said, did you see the body? They said yes, but he was burned. Did they confirm the dental records? Yes, they did. So <laughs> in a way, um, Lalo's done too good of a job <laughs> with his body double that he like almost discredited the fact that he was still alive. Mm-hmm. And of course, what did Nacho say? And, you know, uh, Bolsa says, well, Nacho said it wasn't him. He said that it was the Peruvians. And of course, circling all the way back to the question you had about, remember how much time we spent in taking that safe apart and putting it back together? It seemed to just have the address of the, the hotel in it, which seemed like way too much. Apparently, it also had all the transactions of the Peruvians, right? So these falsified mm-hmm. bank records. So they have covered their tracks and they back up Gustavo. Mm-hmm. And- A couple of interesting things here at the end, setting up once again, setting up Breaking Bad. They say that we will continue to control everything south of the border and you own the north of the border, but you're under Bolsa. A couple of interesting things. One is that Eladio tells him, when I looked in your eyes, I saw hatred. And he goes, a little is okay, but remember who you work for. And the second thing I thought was very interesting here at the end of this scene is that you see Gustavo photographed from inside of the pool. And it reminds us, of course, of his partner being murdered mm-hmm. there at, at, mm-hmm. at that exact place. And that's the shot we saw there. And of course, also foreshadows the massacre that's going to happen at this pool. Yeah. Breaking bad. So very interesting Absolutely. that they tie all that together in this scene. I did wonder how much they really disbelieved Hector or how much they just right. didn't care. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. I think that's the calculation they're making. I don't think they necessarily believe 100% Gustavo's innocent but they have absolutely no evidence of it. And like you said, I think that they keep Hector around 
out of tradition and because of the connections he has, he has some respect within the cartel still. They may be skeptical of Gustavo, but he makes them a lot of money. Potentially, he's making them most of their money. He's the brains of this operation. You know, they're basically the muscle and they threaten him to keep him in line. Literally, they know that he's plotting against him this whole entire time. Or maybe they do and they think they can contain contain him. But I think right. all of this is part of this calculation, like you said. Oh, and in a show, in an episode that really had no humor in it at all, one really, really like laugh out loud moment where Don Eladio says, oh, why don't you get some sleep there, Hector? <laughs> and Hector singing <laughs> <laughs> away. <laughs> oh my God. That's and then the murder now. and then the indignity as he's like the whole time, like for like even into the conversation he's having with Gustavo, you still hear the dinging as the murder mm-hmm. twins escort him into the building. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole thing was very, very funny. I agree. Gustavo gets back home and he talks to Mike. And interestingly, Mike said, here's some pills the doctor left behind in case you came back alive. So they did think that there was a very high likelihood that he may be killed in going to the cartel's compound there. And that's when he Gustavo tells him, when is the lab going to be operational? I do have my next big question for you is in the next uh, sequence after this whole conversation where he's like, we have to reopen ASAP or we have to become operational ASAP. And Mike is kind of like, maybe we should lay low for a little bit. And Gustavo was having no part of it, uh, probably because he wants to get his revenge plot uh, up and running as quickly as possible. And he needs that mm-hmm. power to, to do so. Speaking of these kind of vignettes of everybody kind of dealing with the outcome of this, we have Gustavo going to a wine bar. Oh my God, this was amazing. Yes, it's a great scene. And they spent a lot of time on it. I did not, I was planning to do the research to see if these are actual wines or not, because <laughs> I wanted to buy them now. But uh, mm-hmm. not that I could have, I don't think I could afford that bottle from 1978, but, but some of these other names that they, that they call out. First of all, this is obviously a flirtation he has with this waiter, correct? So my husband and I were going back and forth on this. I was insisting. I mean, I'm just watching it fascinated. And I go, is Gus flirting? And my husband yep. dismissed it immediately. And then the scene continues. And I said, this is flirting. Yes. And I said, did we know Gus was gay? And then my husband says, Gus is asexual. <laughs> <laughs> but I am convinced. I always had the impression that uh, Gus was gay for a couple of reasons. One was that I thought that his partner was his partner, not his brother. I mean, that in hindsight, that all makes sense, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. I always assumed when I watched the show, I always assumed that was his partner who had been murdered by these people, right? Which obviously like traumatized them and maybe made him asexual, right? Maybe made him incapable Mm -hmm, of having another relationship mm -hmm. given the outcome there. But I have read multiple recaps of Breaking Bad, like to refresh myself and people say his brother. And I'm like, that's not his brother. What are you talking about? That's not his brother. So that was Mm. my reading of it. So I wasn't surprised Mm -hmm, to see mm -hmm. this maybe crystallizing a little bit more. And the second reason that I'm pretty sure about this is that they call him, I'm not going to use the slur here, but they call him an F word, you know, the the other F word uh, in one of the episodes in Breaking Bad. Interesting. It's right around the time that he kills them. He meets with them and they're all friendly with him. And then he walks. (laughs) (laughs) No, but he like leaves the meeting and then we're still there. I mean, Aaron Paul might still be there or we're just overhearing a conversation like fly on the wall after he leaves. And Eladio gets very serious and goes, I'm not going to let that F word tell me what to do. So once again, Mm -hmm. they're, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. they're identifying him that way, which once again, reinforced that the guy they killed was his partner, not his brother. I thought this was so interesting. I personally, listen, my memory isn't what it used to be um, in middle age and motherhood, but I could not recall a time that we saw Gus this lively 
this yes. candid, this engaged in a yes. conversation, not seeming like he was just like putting up a persona yes. of like yes. emotionless, you know, I, I just, I couldn't remember ever seeing Gus this way. I, I thought it was a great scene. And for the reasons that I said, I really loved seeing these characters out of context. It very much reminded me, I think intentionally, of Lalo flirting with the widow in Germany, right? It's a kind of seeing mm -hmm, these characters mm -hmm. in a completely different context because Lalo, A, was obviously manipulating her, but also was just being himself as a way to gain her trust, right? And you kind of get to mm -hmm. see Lalo in a completely different context. So the question I wanted to have for you here, I, I agree, this scene was utterly fascinating, letting their guard down just a little bit, something he never, ever does. You're absolutely 100% correct that this is flirting. It's the way it's shot. Not only do we see him when the waiter is telling the story, we see Gustavo's face, like yes. looking at him, right? When, yes. And then when we do see him talking again, we see him in this like side, this profile shot, but in close up. So it's very intimate, that cut back and mm -hmm, forth between the two mm -hmm. of them. That is the way you shoot like a romantic comedy. That is not the mm -hmm. way you shoot a thriller, right? So right. I think it's mm -hmm. very much the language of the film is that it's flirtatious. And more importantly is when he says, I bought this rare bottle of wine when you talked about it last time, and I'm mm -hmm. saving it for a very special occasion. And mm -hmm. it's almost like it's an invitation. Yep. And that's the moment after that, when the waiter has to walk away right after he makes this, you know, very subtle invitation because he's probably it doesn't have a real good read on this guy he might just be polite because he gets a lot of money and tips <laughs> from this guy right Which, <laughs> right so given that once again i want to touch on that last moment when he gets very somber you know his kind of demeanor completely changes once the waiter walks away what was your read on that is he just saying like this isn't for me like this isn't possible this is a fantasy and he just walks away I took it more as just like the reality of who he is. And maybe we're saying the same thing. Yeah. <clears throat> the reality of who he is and what his life is hit him and thought like, this is a frivolous pursuit. I don't right. have time in my life for a frivolous pursuit. Like that was a fun few minutes that I enjoyed. And it was nice to be that version of myself for five minutes. But now like back to real life, back to reality, right? Back to life, back to reality. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. the other thing i thought about too is just the fact that hey if they do happen to get intimate is he going to find his bullet holes <laughs> and ask a lot of questions <laughs> <laughs> how maybe, awkward <laughs> maybe too many questions agent who shot you <laughs> recently <laughs> then we see once again another vignette of person people dealing with the consequences of everything that's happened we have mike watching a baseball game and you know packing up his gun back in his little hidey hole and um mm -hmm. he stumbles upon nacho's father's fake id which eventually leads him to call and talk to nacho's dad uh, maybe my favorite scene in, a, in an episode full of great scenes by the way maybe my favorite scene of the episode i thought this was a great scene i thought it was really well done and a good reality check on what it is that we're watching um a reality check for us and a reality check for mike right right yes absolutely because you get carried away in that idea of who's going to prevail, but in the end, it's all just mob violence, essentially. Right. So really like this idea of justice, you know, no, it's just retribution, it's revenge, right. as the dad says. It was over fast, no pain. You were there. I was there. 
Your son made some mistakes. He fell in with bad people. But he was never like them. Not really. He had a good heart. One more thing. You won't have to worry about the Salamancas. Their day is coming. There'll be justice. Justice? What are you talking about? It's not justice. What you talk of is revenge. It never ends. My boy is gone. Do you think you somehow have the moral high ground here? Like you don't. You're all awful people. So. And Mike and Mike's already been caught up in that vengeance cycle by you know avenging his his son. Yeah. Who may very well have been a crooked cop who got his comeuppance as well. Yeah, really well done. The idea of I'm sure this guy was wondering what has happened to his son, why he hasn't heard from him. Although, you know, I have a problem figuring out how much time has elapsed (laughs) from the last time he talked with Nacho and whether this is like a suspicious amount of time for him to have not heard from his son. But I'm sure he's wondering what his son is doing and if his son is okay. And Mike having to tell him, you know, the truth and probably something he's worried about every day of his life is going to happen to his kid. And maybe on some level even thought that that must be what had happened. But, you know, to confirm it, it was very touching to me. So then we follow up that scene with uh, another really uncomfortable scene. We see that Jimmy and Kim have gone to. Oh, my God. Is this a, would you call this a wake? Would we call this a wake for Howard? It was some sort of memorial, I think. Maybe a memorial, yes, because there's no body. Yeah. I mean, these days they would call it like a celebration of life or something like that. <laughs> right. And we do yeah. see these photos of him, you know, in his, yeah. at the peak of his livelihood. And this scene really, maybe this is why the final scenes don't hit me as hard, because we see a lot of uncomfortable interactions here, but the primary one oh. is with the wife. Uh, they go to talk to, to Cheryl, who's there with uh, the Ed Begley Jr. character. And she basically says, he wasn't a drug addict. I uh-huh. was married to him. I knew him. Yes. I don't believe this. And the first question I have for you is Saul's response. <clears throat> I didn't leave here under the best uh, terms. The past few years, I could have... Uh, been more considerate to Howard instead of yitzing him every chance I got. I guess uh, there was a certain amount of jealousy on my part because Howard had the uh, respect of my brother, which I never did. I mean, he had the respect of my my brother, Charles, mm-hmm. and I never did. Mm-hmm. And is this somebody who's a snow job, like like a good liar, by the way, like a snow job that is maybe true at the same time. Do, do you believe that? I think so. Yeah, I think so. If in a way Saul lies, but redeems himself in some way, when Kim jumps in and comes up with a total oh, bullshit story, God. I hated her at that moment. Like I was like, this is evil. These people are evil. Stone <laughs> cold, stone cold. And I mean, but did you see the look on jimmy's face space. like yep. he looks horrified yes. right of yes. like oh my god this like <laughs> this woman is spinning out of control yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i mean he really looks like he um can't believe himself right. that she is doing this which sets up the ending uh, but before we get there of course this all culminates 
when they leave and she gives him a kiss. And it's so funny the way she kisses him and then walks away. I literally took down my notes, said kiss. And then I said off question mark. (laughs) (laughs) And they really was right. And I mean, I think they set that up perfectly to that point. I was like, wow, these people are disgusting. (laughs) I was repulsed by them at that moment. And I guess that's what we're supposed to feel because she goes back home and she packs up her stuff. And not only that, we find out you know, over the course of the next day that she's quit. She's not a lawyer anymore. So that, that was pretty shocking. It was. Um, just practically speaking, I don't know that you actually like tell the bar to. Instantaneously I, I guess I, bar. I've never really <laughs> witnessed this happening. But <laughs> right. I think what most people would do is just not pay their fee when it comes up the next year. <laughs> <laughs> right. She wanted to be over immediately. I know. So. She needed to make a statement. I understand that. So maybe there is a way to proactively resign from the bar. But I mean, I'll just say, practically speaking, in New York State, like I do know people that fell very behind on their bar admission fees <laughs> and they still were like, it was okay in the end. The bar is very hard to get out of. So. <laughs> they won't let you out. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, maybe it's different in New Mexico, but uh, yeah, I mean, just uh, obviously that's a complete uh, digression, but she has decided she is done with this life and she is out. And uh, that leads to this multiple confrontations, you know, this very long scene at the end of the episode here, where one, she basically says, the two of us together are poison, which I agree (laughs) at this point, absolutely. And I think that Saul, or or Jimmy, if you want to call him that, acknowledges this or recognizes this in the previous scene, like you said, that shock on his face when she jumps in. And, uh, you know, then I think maybe the thing that really ends things for him as well is her telling him, by the way, I knew that Lala was around. (laughs) And he's like, what? I knew. You knew what? I knew he was alive. No, you didn't. It was about a month ago. I saw that car following me again. And it turned out that Mike Ermintrout had guys watching both of us, watching for Lalo. Mike, Mike told you that Lalo was alive. And you didn't tell me? I thought, I thought it was a one in a million chance that he'd come for us. I thought he would be caught. If he did, and I told myself I was protecting you. But that's not the truth. The the real reason I didn't tell you was because I knew what you'd do. You'd want us to run and hide until you were sure I was safe. You would pull the plug on the scam and then, and then uh, we'd break up. And I didn't want that because I was having too much he is so so floored and her explanation yes yes is even more insane that you could think there could be someone coming to kill you but you're having too much fun with your zany caper to to think about saving your own life or the life of your husband i mean this is the woman has like spun out completely this is all unhinged i mean i guess we all know people that bring out the worst (laughs) yes yes. (laughs) but but this is extreme (laughs) (laughs) absolutely absolutely and also because she fears she's basically acknowledging at that moment something that we have speculated on multiple times on this very show that without the cons without that gamesmanship fun and games in this episode title, right? It's all fun and games until someone loses an eye or something. So it's mm-hmm, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. so this is the end of the fun and games. 
because someone lost an eye and more, that she is basically um, acknowledging that fact that maybe Jimmy has always suspected that that is, has always been the lore is this, these games. And she knew that without the games, she wasn't interested. And, you know, that's very sad. Right. But I don't yeah. think it's a two way street, right? Oh, no, it's not. Yep. She feels that way for yeah. him, but he doesn't feel that way for her. Yeah. So then in the uh, plot of the show, we smash cut to the Breaking Bad timeline and we see Saul with a very, like a really terrible comb over, <laughs> which I think oh may be legitimate. So <laughs> I know that uh, <laughs> that Oder Kirk has lost most of his hair. So I mean, that may be legitimate. He's waking up with a prostitute, I believe, right? I don't think I'm just, uh, not just someone who's really into that kind yeah, of style. Yeah, he <laughs> I'm pretty sure. at the end, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, he gives her a nutrition bar, but was there money in there too? I don't know. Yeah, I think at some point she was counting some cash. Yeah, oh, okay, I'm not yeah. sure exactly when she got it. Yeah. It was interesting if it was in the bar, like, you know, in the same Oh, yeah, dish. good question. Because <laughs> that way he's never transacting money with her, but also it means right. that he has a whole process because this happens so frequently. <laughs> I mean, it was full of Nutri-Grain bars. It was bowl, definitely so, full of yes. Nutri-Grain bars. <laughs> and I mean, you know, he probably has some of these women as his clients. So, you know, that's an right, easy way to, uh, yeah. you know, another way to pay your bill. So, you know, he's now fully in the, you know, become the Better Call Saul that we see in Breaking Bad. And that's where we leave things for next week. And I did want to mention that the promo photos for next week are just one still, and it is... Aaron Paul and Brian Cranston in their roles, of course, you know, shaved, clean shaven, you know, or head shaved, bald as Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. Interesting. So that's at least the tease for next week. I assume they wouldn't put that out there if it's not actually going to happen because right. people will be very upset to, to tune in and be like, oh, no, I got to wait two more weeks. It's like, <laughs> a couple of things. How did you, how do you feel about the show with four episodes to go? Do you think that's, do you think that's too much time or too little time to spend in this future timeline? It's more than I expected. Same. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure that I'm disappointed about that, though. Exactly. Uh, I think there I feel are exactly a lot the same. of yep. possibilities here. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see what they do or don't do with that. Um, I mean, I could also see, you know, a couple of these episodes being just like very tangentially these universes touching each other. Right. My curiosity is peaked. <laughs> I feel the same way with the extra breathing room. I had honestly thought it'd be only one or two episodes. Me too. And maybe one episode where it's primarily in the future. It's a little bit more, at least one episode more than I was expecting. Right. Probably two episodes more than I was expecting, which I like, like you said, because now all of a sudden I'm thinking we can see what happened in Breaking Bad from Saul's point of view. Like you can have a mm -hmm. whole side, mm -hmm. you know, have like a Back to the Future part two, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. re uh, retconning of the first uh, you know, <laughs> show. And uh, that could be interesting. And also it can give us more time to find out what happened to other these these other side characters in the future, right? So right. That's uh, some of these better call soul characters. So yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And, and there's definitely going to be some, at least one episode that is primarily what's happening currently in uh, Nebraska. Right. So I'm very excited. This was a great episode, I thought, yeah. Yeah, no, it was really compelling um, in a lot of ways. And we answered the years long question, what happened to Kim? So, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we don't know precisely what happened, right. but we have at least some idea of why she is not in Saul's life anymore. Right. We know for sure that she left. She wasn't like murdered or something. On her she... own terms. <laughs> exactly. <yes. laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. So that is very important, by the way, because that is a big deal. And by the way, because he is in Nebraska, maybe it's all a long play for him to win her back or something. Right. But uh 
And we don't know that. So that's still on the table. But we know that in this timeline, she left him because she realized that their relationship was toxic, which is a fact. <laughs> so that's so it's all, all for the good. Yeah, I agree. This is the one thing I would say is that the breakup between Saul and Kim, I wanted more of an emotional impact there. And it did leave me a little cold. Did you, did you get that impression or, or how did that feel for you? I think it felt inevitable. Yeah. We know she's not in the Breaking Bad universe. Right. And once we know that she is alive, uh, I mean, she still could have died by some other means, right? It's certainly possible. But right, right. it kind of felt like, well, yes. And if she is going to survive to this point and she's not in his life later, this is what would happen. And what did you think about the psychological description of their relationship. This is what I think is maybe the most interesting dynamic in this episode, revealed in this episode, something that they've really hinted at at a very early stage. I remember there's that episode where they're at the hotel and he's floating uh, you know, on his, this might be in season one, all the way back in season one. And then they start doing the whole thing where she plays Giselle and he plays his character. Yeah. And you see him kind of deciding to play along because he knows it's how he gets her turned on. And uh, it's interesting that not that he's not slipping Jimmy deep down inside anyway, but that she has become a catalyst for him to become Saul, right? Like she has, uh, to a large extent, accelerated this whole entire process because she needed to keep doubling down on this con persona, whatever you want to call it, because it's the thing that united them, right? So do you buy into this whole thing that you know she primarily was there for the thrill of it? I haven't given it so much thought from her perspective, but from his perspective, I kind of feel sorry for him. I feel like yeah. he's like a lost puppy dog yes, that's yes. like looking for someone to save him from yeah. himself. Yep. And yep. he keeps trying to find people, his brother, Kim, yep. that will help him do that because he knows he's capable of it with the right person. Yeah. But instead, it keeps backfiring on him right, right. for one reason or another. He needs someone to lead him away from that. Right. But he just keeps picking the wrong people and finding people who, for one reason or another, are making him double down on that side of himself. I agree. I agree 100%. I, I think that's the most interesting thing that's kind of revealing itself here at the end of the, the, the show itself. He wanted to win over his brother, but then he uses some of his con skills to be a better lawyer. And that makes him lose his brother, even though he's mm -hmm. effective at what he's doing, but his brother won't give him credit for it. And then that is like a, a slap down. And then similarly, he goes to Kim and he's like, she's too good for him. And he feels like she's he's really dating up and that she's going to make him better. But then, of course, what appeals to her about him is the con man, which, of course, now he once again is leaning into the thing that he ideally would like to be pulled away from by intention or by circumstance, he keeps going in the wrong direction, right? And unfortunately, this is where we end up. I feel like it's very easy to see this as, yeah, they were toxic because Slip and Jimmy, he's always going to be that right, con right. man. Mm -hmm. And Kim got sucked into that. But right. I don't think it's that simple at all. No. When you but see her I biography too, I think it's intentionally they show her biography because she, her mom was a con person. So this is the way she- Exactly. You know, this, her relationships are, are based around those things. Exactly. Like, I think there is a whole alternate universe where it doesn't play out this way. But because Kim, to bring back to your original question, because she really um, gets a high off yes. that thrill, mm -hmm. yep. like she's yep. like an addict herself, yep. right? That, exactly. Yep. Like there are many times he's tried to tell her this has gone, we've, we've had our fun. It's time to shut it down. Like, 
that's a bridge too far. We don't need to do that. And she's the one pushing him always. Yeah. It's that U-turn, right? At earlier in the season when she can go yeah. and do the interview and he's like, we can do this a different way. We'll do it later. And she's like, no, we're doing it now. And she abandons her interview to go and continue with the con, which eventually leads <laughs> to his death, to Howard's death. So. I think it's toxic, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that it had to be that way. And I think he was actually assertively trying to not have it be that way, aside from like, you know, you have your fun, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not saying it was ever going to be, they were never going to be angels, but right. it didn't have to be like this. Right, right. Okay. I think we're about to wrap up and uh, very interested in seeing next week's episode. Uh, before we do wrap up, if we have a minute or two, you asked me for a recommendation this weekend. You wanted to know if you should see the bear or what was it? Blackbird. Oh, or Blackbird. Did you catch any one of those? Did you did you actually try to do Yes, any? we ended up getting sucked into three episodes of Blackbird. In oh, fact. But, uh, but what do you think so far? It's good, right? Yeah, um, both my husband and I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I have not yet done the wikipedia i have not i'm intentionally search yeah, to figure yeah. out how much inspired <laughs> true. by true yeah. events yeah. is like how much license has been taken here uh but yeah a lot of interesting stuff going on and interesting characters happening um so great acting I, I great acting across the board very good acting although that one the lead uh, oh no Go ahead. the guy that's in jail for being a murderer yeah the voice is very off-putting to me. <laughs> I think it's true to life, though. I think that's why it's... Like, is it? Yeah. Okay. You know, and I feel like there's there's a lot of telegraphing. There's a lot of, yeah, like, yeah. me and my husband looking at each other going, but it's the brother, right? It's got to be the brother. <laughs> so, it may be, right? In the end, who knows? Yeah, why would you lie about this? Well, to protect your brother. So, <laughs> <laughs> good point, good point. And if so, he was getting it, it some details, he shouldn't simple. know. Yeah, exactly. It may not. Yeah. I mean, if this was a, if it was op- absolutely, if this was fictional, then that would definitely be the case. But it remains to be seen. And I've done the same thing since I actually do plan to watch the show. And it's only six episodes that I um, will do my Wikipedia <laughs> research after it's all done. Yeah, I don't want to ruin it for myself. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't want reality to interfere with my television exactly. watching. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I will be doing some kind of recapping of that when we get to the end or close to the end there with my sister on the weekend. Uh, we have been watching that as well, although we haven't had a chance to review that because we've been watching other things. And I'll be watching the Jordan Peele movie, Nope, this weekend. So that'll be my review. So yeah, anybody Exciting. check out this weekend. Uh, not only will I be giving my review of Nope, but I will also be <laughs> with Celia. We'll be talking about The Old Man, that show I recommended to you, which turned mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. horrible. <laughs> Oh, but it, it did? It is entertaining to take it apart because it's so bad. So, talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye. Ride with me, glide with me, stay by my side.